0: Welcome to The Nation's Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Are you ready for the Word of God? Stand to your feet. We're going to read Scripture tonight, Mark chapter 14. Every time we read Scripture, when I teach people how to read Scripture, particularly like the Gospels, uh, their stories or their, their accounts, that account for things that have really happened. And when we read something like uh, an account out of the Gospels, I encourage you to really fully immerse yourself in the story. Uh, When you read the words, try and picture yourself there. Try and um, get attached to the nuances of what is written here. And it says here in Mark chapter 14, verse 1, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table. Sometimes Jesus is just so chilled. How many of you like to recline when you get home? Well, Jesus is chilling, right? He's just done a full day of ministry, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Say very expensive perfume. Think about that for a moment. There's something very costly in this alabaster jar. It is made of pure nard. She broke the jar. Say broke the jar. (gasps) Wow. And poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly, to one another or angrily with one another why this waste of perfume it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor they rebuked her harshly leave her alone said Jesus why are you bothering her she has done a beautiful thing to me the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me she did what she could she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial truly I tell you Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise an incredible (laughs) account of worship and honor towards Jesus? Grab your seat. I'm going to speak to you on the thought tonight. Break the jar. Turn to someone and say, break the jar. Break the jar. I'm going to come back to this account uh, in just a moment. But, hey, it's no secret to everyone in the room that I am... A child of Asian migrant parents. Loud and proud of Asian migrant parents. How many of you are children of migrant parents? Holla. Well, that's half the room. Oh, my brothers and sisters. Asian migrant parents. I, I, this is my theology. I generally believe that there is a special place in heaven for children of Asian migrant parents. God has reserved special mansions for us who are children of Asian migrant parents parents. What that means is essentially my parents are ethnics and they, they, they're from Malaysia. I was born in Malaysia originally. My parents uh, gave up everything and immigrated to Australia. And so if you're here tonight and, and like, it, you know, all of us Asians that are living and, and growing up in Western countries, whether it's the UK, the US, Canada, whatever, in our case, Australia, there is a special place in heaven for us. The reason for that is Asian migrant parents have two specific aspirations for every single one of their Asian migrant children. These aspirations uh, are, uh, you know, they are ageless, they are timeless through every generation of Asian migrant parents. They have the same aspiration for their children. The first aspiration is that every Asian migrant child will end up becoming a doctor. And secondly, that that same said child will learn to play the violin. As if those two skill sets need to coexist in the same person. It's vital. You know what I'm talking about, right? I have Asian parents. Thank God they love Jesus, but they are nonetheless Asian and they are migrants. So they had an expectation of me when I was young. Their aspirations of me, quietly, low-key, was that I would become a doctor and that I would learn to play the violin, neither of which happened. Failing that, every Asian migrant parent has like A pass mark, a minimum base level pass mark, aspiration for their migrant child, and that is failing, becoming a doctor and playing the violin, that they would become an accountant and play the piano. As if those two skill sets need to coexist in the same person. You know what I'm talking about? Now, when I was young, all that I wanted to do was have like fully awesome, fully functioning skills, like being able to surf and ride a skateboard like all the other white kids That did not happen. So my parents had great aspirations for my brother and I. The reason we think it's funny and all of that, and I do joke about my age and ethnicity, which which gives me hours and hours of preaching joke material, is that my parents understood what it was like 33 years ago to give up all that was familiar to them, to forego great financial security and stability, to leave behind a lot of their accumulated wealth in the country of their birth because they could not take it out. To start afresh with a zero bank balance in a country called Australia to give my brother and I a better future. See, that's called legacy. My parents understood what it was like to sacrifice a temporal, personal desire and aspiration for their own lives to give their children or the next generation. A better future. Us migrant kids understand because we've seen our parents give up so much so that we could have a better life. I was born in a Muslim nation. My parents who had just converted to Christianity wanted their children to grow up in a country where the gospel is freely preached. They wanted us to have an education. They wanted us to be able to live to our fullest potential which they felt at the time in the country of our birth they could not. And so they gave up what was... Their immediate place of comfort, their immediate place of familiarity, and their immediate sense of security in order for my brother and I to live the life that we now live, they created a ceiling that is now the floor that I stand on. See, that really is the meaning of legacy. I have a real cheeky dig at my parents every now and then, but I honor them greatly because they understood and have modeled to me what it's like to forego in the now so that people in the future can have a better life. And even if you're not a believer, there is a natural understanding in all of us that there is a desire that our own offspring, the children that we produce, will do better, achieve greater. How many of your parents in the place? Come on. Yeah. We all have a desire that our children will do far better than us, do we not? So we really, you know, you don't have to be a believer to have that natural understanding. The reason for that is because we were created to be image bearers of God and God in his DNA has always thought about the future. He's always thought about the generations to come. God has never created us to live in the moment. In fact, he's always created us to be legacy leavers. Little wonder that the first ever conversation he has with humanity is go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Think about the legacy that you'll leave. If you think about who Jesus is, Jesus was the one who showed the way. Did he not leave his throne in heaven, come down to earth to die on the cross, leave a legacy that 2,000 years later, you and I are still, come on. Able to live in the afterglow or the aftermath of all that he did at Calvary. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, You now need to think the way Jesus did, who was legacy leaving and about the future. And it says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or for his own personal gain. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now that includes you and I, hello. In every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says you now need to have the same mindset as Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was a legacy lever. He knew that the cross was not just a, a, a once off occurrence, but by giving up all that he was to, to take on human form and to go on the cross, he then left a legacy. You see, the gospel and legacy are one and the same thing. You cannot be a believer in the gospel by not being a legacy generational minded thinker. For those of us that are, who are in Christ, we become legacy levers by our redeemed nature. That's why every year as a church, a good portion of our budget is set aside for kids ministry and for youth ministry. And y'all know, for those, for those of us that have families at the start of every year when we plan our budgets, I, I, I promise you as parents, we plan the budget for school fees and for piano lessons and for dance lessons and for sport and school camps and school trips and school holidays. Why is that? Because we intuitively want the next generation to have a fantastic experience and upbringing so they can do better than us. Come on, are you out there? Why is there such great joy in the birth of children and grandchildren? Because we know that that is legacy. So, what does all of this have anything to do with Mark chapter 14, this account that we read? Well, Mark chapter 14 is a significant account, I think one of the most significant passages of Scripture in the Gospels, also uh, repeated in Matthew chapter 26 as well as John chapter 12. It accounts for a woman not identified here in Mark 14, but John chapter 12 identifies her as Mary Magdalene. Who is this lady? Well, this lady was the sister of Lazarus. If you know a little bit about Scripture, Lazarus was a guy that was dead, and he died, and he was dead for four days before Jesus came and rose him and called him out of the tomb. Hello. Well, Mary Magdalene was his sister, right? And so here is this woman, and she comes in, and she interrupts a lunch held by Simon the leper. We believe that Simon was one of the lepers that Jesus and his disciples healed. He's now healed. He's no longer a leper. It's like an X name, if you like. You know what I'm talking about? Just to give you an example of who he was. And here he is having lunch with Jesus and his disciples, and this woman interrupts this lunch. And she comes in with an alabaster jar of spikenard or nard perfume, Made from the essence of a rare plant, the spikenard plant. These spikenard plants that, 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 or which they harvested, this essential oil, if you like, this expensive perfume, grew in, in higher places in India and in the Himalayas. And it was, it was very, very precious, very costly, so much so that in first century Israel, it was used as like a trading currency. Makes sense to you? So people understood what that was. Women in first century Israel, particularly under Roman occupation, found it very hard to be owners of land or significant assets. They couldn't hold titles to, to assets and land and things like that. So this made... Financial security for women in those days, very, very uncertain. That's why as modern readers, when we read the Bible, we often go, what's the big deal with widows and unmarried women and things like that? Well, you know, for, for us, we just take for granted that everyone can take care of themselves. But in the first century, particularly in biblical times, women depended heavily on the income of their husbands. Hello. In the absence of that, when you're unmarried like Mary Magdalene was, the only opportunity you had to store up some kind of financial future was that every time they had income, it was you know, given to them in, in coin, gold coin or silver coin currency. What they would do instead of saving these coins was that they would then purchase in small amounts things like spikenard or expensive perfume, oil or pieces of textile, or cloth or material. And as over time, they'd accumulate these things that wouldn't obviously go off or expire. But over time, things that would last so that as time goes on and the years roll on, as they would age or maybe they, they, they would take on ill health and couldn't work anymore, they would sell little bits of this oil, little bits of these textiles to ensure that they could survive and have something to live off. Makes sense to you? So here is this woman and she comes in and without saying a single word, she says, so much, her prophetic act, without even uttering a single word, she does something that takes everyone in the room aback, They all, it took their breath away, there was a collective gasp, when she broke the alabaster jar over Jesus' head, everybody knew the significance of what was going on without seeing a single word, she said so much, which in and of itself is a miracle, because we all know women, at times use a lot of words, no one knows what they're saying, but this woman, only playing with you. I had to get your attention because some of you were vaguing out. This woman said so much without using a single word. She broke the jar over Jesus's head, and there was a collective gasp. And I, I, I tell you what. To, there's something very very profound about what's going on here i tried to find as as good a replica as i possibly can of the kind of alabaster jar that you would have found in first century israel it had a large body with a very narrow neck with like a little bit of like a uh, a valve in there to to regulate the flow see when spikenard was accumulated in a jar it was incredibly precious and so at most you just wanted to tip and just get a few drops out because often that was all that you needed makes sense to you you didn't want it to, to overpour makes sense to you So this woman could have come in and done a prophetic act and got a couple of drips on Jesus. Awesome. Be anointed. That's my prophetic act for the day. See you later. But what she did was incredibly powerful. She broke the jar over Jesus' head. Mm. It all came pouring out all at once. Everything that this jar was. Her life savings. Everything that she had to show. Come on, are you out there? It's, it was a, it's as confronting as not. This is not what I'm asking you to do. I'm just saying this as purely to explain the context of this particular passage. It's as if someone in the room right now were to stand up, walk all the way up to the stage, slap a check down, and the amount on their check was the sale of their current house, their superannuation, their car, every asset to their name that's been liquidated, and they slapped it down on the stage. All of us would go, <gasps> what was going on? I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying this is what she was doing. It was as confronting as that, right? When Mary broke the jar, the disciples knew what was going on because they themselves understood what it was like to follow Jesus. But up until this point, even though they'd given up their professions to follow Jesus, they haven't quite yet sold all their possessions and given it, come on, and share. This only happened in the book of Acts when they became apostles. Makes sense to you. But what this woman was doing was so confronting to them that there was a collective gasp that that without saying a single word she was actually saying Jesus I acknowledge that you are Christ son of the living God and you will be crucified as you've said and you will rise again after three days as you said and I believe this because I've seen with my own eyes you raising my brother Lazarus after four days Jesus I surrender and trust my whole life with into your hands you've changed my life and now I'm breaking the jar over your head and this jar represents my identity it represents my wealth. It represents my security. It represents my comfort. It represents my time. It represents my resource. I pour it all out on you and anoint your head with oil and let this be a prophetic act so that wherever the gospel is preached, may I have a part to play in the legacy. Come on, are you talking? you got to understand this woman's heart to live beyond just her immediate lifetime. Little wonder, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The disciples that heard that at the time had no idea that one day in 2022, this gospel is going to be preached through the online, throughout the world. Come on, are you out there? We are still talking about this woman today. Wherever the gospel is preached, wherever people will acknowledge the death and resurrection of Jesus because she broke the jar, her legacy remains. Friend, gospel and legacy cannot be separated. Why? Because the gospel was the ultimate act of sacrifice so others can benefit. The gospel is not, as some have now made it, a bless me, take all I can while I can, what's in it for me brand. The gospel has always been Jesus, you laid your life down for me, now I'll lay my life down for others' sake. You know, in the season of the last two years of a pandemic, we've learned what it's like to close ranks, to look inward, to lock ourselves down, to live day by day, month by month. Don't plan, don't dream, don't think into the future, but I reckon it's time again for us to live out a gospel of legacy again. Because if you read the Bible, it's everywhere in Scripture. Legacy is everywhere in Scripture. You you see people breaking the jar in the moment so that others in the future can benefit. Think of the young boy in John chapter 6. This kid right? He had five loaves and two fish. All he did that day was to hang out with mom and dad, and they cruised around with Jesus along with thousands of people, right? But it was time to eat. No one brought any food except this one kid. If there's any kid that had any right to go, don't touch my lunchbox. I was the only organized person out of thousands of people to actually pack my lunch. He had no idea how the story would end, and yet he broke the jar. And even today, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about the 5,000 men plus women plus children who ate because he broke the jar. Think about David. David was king. And years and years and years of going to battle, risking his own lives, he risked the lives and lost many good friends in the front line of battle. I reckon David, in his old age, if he lifted his shirt, you would have seen the scars, all the battle scars of all of the times he'd been, mortally, he'd been, he'd been wounded. Right, Not to the point of death, but certainly wounded in in battle. He'd always been the kind of guy that didn't want to be a warrior because he was a worshiper. What was really in his heart was not to win battles, but to build God a place of worship. So it was in his heart to do it. And, and, and it would have been a prayer of his heart for decades. God, one day, you would have been his dream as a shepherd boy. One day, if I come into some kind of money, some kind of wealth, God, I'm going to build you a place of worship. I, wanna, I, I, I don't see myself playing my harp in the, in the field anymore. I see myself playing, playing my harp like in the temple courts, because that would have been his dream. And yet God said, because you're a man of war, you won't get to see that dream fulfilled. David, I want you to break your jar for Solomon. And it's the next generation that will fulfill. Come on. You're catching this. Jochebed broke the jar for Moses so he could live as a prince in Egypt. Paul broke the jar for Timothy. In fact, he describes this about his own life. I have lived my life in such a way that I am now poured out as a drink offering. So Timothy, now it's over to you. Come on, are you out there? My parents broke the jar for my brother and I 33 years ago so we could come to this nation to live the kind of life that they knew we couldn't live back where we came from. My old pastor broke the jar for us. When he sat Chrissy and I down and said, We want to plant you up, but we're going to set you up, we're going to take up an offering, we're going to sow into it, we're going to gather a team around you. We're all here today because somebody in the past broke some jars for the future, which is now our present. Are you catching this? You need to remember God did not create you to be a hoarder, He created you to be a jar breaker. This was the teaching moment in Mark chapter 14. This was exactly what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples that a core part of discipleship and a a fundamental understanding. If you want to follow me, you got to be a jarbreaker, not a hoarder. If you want to follow me, disciples, watch what this woman is doing. If you want to roll with me, this is how, because the greatest life you could ever live is is to live it sacrificially for the benefit of others that are coming after you. The greatest life you could ever live is to live it in such a way that you sacrifice now so that others can benefit after you. We have something called the Australian dream, don't we? It's well known. Every, every nationality has some kind of earthly aspirations of some kind. For us, the, the, the Australian dream is to get all you can, what you can, own as many things and all of that, which is a, a really good aspiration to have, I guess. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, Jesus actually wants to teach us that the greatest life you can live is to live it sacrificially so that others that are coming after you can benefit. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. You know, in the one sense, it's intuitive for us to think that way. If you're a parent, the context of our children, and because every parent wants to leave a great legacy for their next generation, their children to come after them. But secularism also teaches us that you should live for your own pleasure, that, that you should live for your own desires, your own ambitions, your own aspirations. You deserve it. You deserve to keep that for yourself because you've worked hard for it. it's your chance to enjoy life. And friends, n- none of that is wrong in and of itself. But I want to suggest to you today, That Jesus has created us to be legacy-minded, generational thinkers. You might be asking today, PK, like, why why should I... Be a generationally, generationally minded or legacy minded person. Why, why should I think about people that I've never met before for a generation of people that I do not know personally and have nothing to do with? Every generation should make their own way and make a name for themselves. And, and you know, it's, I've got mine and I need to look after myself and I, and that that's it. See, we have to think generationally because that's the way God thinks. The psalmist best described this in, in Psalm 78 verse 5. He said, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, verse 6, so the next generation would know them, and catch this, this it's going to blow you away, even the children yet to be born. If you're ever in doubt that unborn children are close to the heart of God, right here, come on. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds God actually commands us to take responsibilities for generations not even born how countercultural is that to think beyond the here and now because God already has them in mind every unborn child that is going to be born and dedicated on every stage and nation's church God already knows their name and his desire for them is that we sow and, be- and break jars so that they one day will discover Jesus themselves if you want to walk closely with Jesus and incline your ear to his chest, you would hear that his heart beats for the future, that his heart beats for the generations that are to come. Why is that? Because the Christian faith is really only ever one generation away from extinction. All it takes is for one generation somewhere in some time in human history to decide, nah, I'm out, tapping out. It's not up to me anymore. They can look after themselves. The young people, they can just fend for themselves. It All it takes is just for one generation to tap out, and the Christian faith is only one generation away from extinction. But that is not who God's called Nations Church to be. We've been breaking jars ever since the church started, and we're not going to stop now. Come on, Hello. Come on, if you're here today, you're in a church that we're in today because people broke their jars for us in the past for the sake of the future, which is now our present. And I have got a felt real understanding of this, seeing my parents live out legacy. I know that as a migrant child, if you're a migrant from a migrant family today, you intuitively have that understanding. You've seen parents give up so much to give you a better life. I know that that's my framework. I know that's my bias, but it's also the way the kingdom of God works. Hello, come on, are you out there? That God has called us to be sacrificial legacy levers and generational thinkers. That's why this year, we're going to be building our future once again. We're going to be building our future once again. If you don't know what building our future is, it's once a year we sow financially to ensure that our church of the future is going to be strong and vibrant and viable. In 2004, when our, first, our church was first planted, God actually spoke to me so clearly about legacy and thinking generationally, and it's odd to have a conversation with God, and I felt it was odd for God to have a conversation with me about legacy and generations when you first plant your church. I don't know if you know this or not, but what church planters think about predominantly when they first plant their church is survival, not the future. They think about, am I, I going to get enough? But God, oh God, please, please let there be enough money in the bucket today to keep the lights on. That's, genera- that's generally how church planners think. And, and it, it was about the hustle, doing whatever it takes to get through week to week. I was it, Ken, you and I plan, plan a church. It, that's predominantly the thinking. And for God to have a, a conversation with me about generations and legacy was very much out of the, the, the blue. Because I remember talking to some different ministers and, 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 and chatting with them about, you know, one of them was older and had planted his own church. It was a, quite a long ways into it by then. And he, he, I remember him telling me with all the good intent in his own heart, he said, if you want to plant a church, Ken, you just have to be prepared to live Week to week. Now I understand that sentiment. What he was trying to say is that you got to lower your expectations. Don't think too far ahead. Just pioneer. Get things going. I understand that. But as I scoured scripture, all that I could see leaping out of the pages of this ancient book, this living word of God, was that God is a God of generations. He doesn't want. Jesus died and rose again for so much more than just a week to week church. Here one day, maybe not there the next Jesus died and rose again for so much more than that. God has always had the future in mind. It's been a deep conviction of mine that if we build the future of his house, he will build the future of our house. See, for us to have a revelation of building our future, though, we need to have a revelation that everything we experience today, the church that we're all a part of, that we call home, our present reality was once the future, that people in the past broke their jars to build. For so many of you, this might be a new season for you. You're in a new church and easy to come into a church like this and experience this. Wow, look at that. Look at that screen and look at all these chairs and look at all these people and you know, look at these walls and wow, it's such a beautiful building. Someone in the past. Come on. Many of them not here anymore because they've moved in a state or moved back overseas or whatever, Broke jars. So that today, see, every time I sit on one of these dark gray seats, I'm, I sat a lot of years on a gray plastic chair, y'all. I broke some jars so that y'all can sit on them seats today. This is the point. It would be completely hubris and too proud and arrogant of us to think that we're all here because we're Awesome. And favor ain't fair. <laughs> We're all here today because somebody broke jars for us. Every time I look at my mom and dad, this Asian uncle and auntie, I look at the life that they could have had, but what they, they forego so much for us. They released and relinquished what could have been a great life so that my brother and I could have a better life. See, this is the definition of legacy. It's kingdom, is it not? Right? And I want to say this to New Nations Church. It can't stop. It mustn't stop with us. So turn to someone and say, legacy must not stop with me. Legacy must not stop with me. You know, the revelation of legacy and building our future. Yes, it represents resource. It represents for us in our Maori campus. It represents this phenomenal facility that we moved into just only f- six months ago or so. But you need to understand that none of this happened by accident. It happened because there were many years of people smashing their jars. Hello. For those of you that are new to Nations Church, I want to encourage you, if you've never participated in building our future, let us invite you. Break your jars with us this year. And if you've been breaking your jars for the last few years, maybe even all of the 18 years that we've had building our future, I want to say this to you again. Let's go one more time. Let's go one more time. Because legacy must not stop with us. You know, every year when we talk about legacy, when we talk about building a future, we talk about breaking jars, we get blowback too. There's always complaints people that don't agree with it. Ironically, it's always from the people that are enjoying today what other people did for them back then. They're the ones that complain the most. But it was when it's now their turn to break jars, they don't agree with it, right? See, the issue is not legacy that they don't agree with. The issue is not building a future that they don't agree with. What confronts them the most is that it exposes in them the issue with money. See, what confronted the disciples about what Mary did was not the fact that she smashed a jar and made a mess. Hello? What confronted what took a collective gasp in the room was not the fact that she barged in, she was a woman and barged in and said nothing, which was like they were probably stunned by that. Is the woman going to say something? No, she's not. Oh my gosh, what's she doing? Oh! What it exposed was they had not fully surrendered their whole life like this woman was doing and that's why it says in mark 14 verse 4 some of those present were saying indignantly to one another why this waste of perfume there's always a noble argument right when you're trying to deflect and smoke screen it could have been sold for more than a year's wages and money given to the poor and they rebuked her harshly now mark kept it pretty classy right he just said that some who were in the room some who were present right Matthew did the same. John, he exposed them. John's a dobber. John 12 says this, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then in verse six, he really outs him. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in and like, all the other disciples would a face palm and go, John, John, shh, come on, bro. This is going to be red for like the next 2,000 years. Shh. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always. But me you do not have always. The argument was, what? This makes no sense. Surely she could have sold all of that oil and given it to the poor. There's always... A counterargument, where it exposes our own dysfunction, we justify away issues that we have with something that is intrinsically kingdom, because it exposes our own lack, our own dysfunction, our own sense of unsurrenderedness. And so here, Judas said, "Could have been sold, given to the poor." Jesus saw right through this argument and said, "This, let her alone." She has kept this for the day of my burial, for the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. I need to exegete this for you. Jesus is not saying don't give to the poor because that will contradict other passages of Scripture that that clearly outlines that that is Christ's heart. What Jesus is saying is this. Jesus wanted to use Mary's breaking the jar moment as a teaching moment, that it is part of our discipleship to recognize the value of sacrificing for legacy. The poor you have with you always. that phrase means that need is always everywhere and that will never go away. and as a base Christian one-on-one, it is always our obligation to never walk away from charity as you need as you see. It makes sense to you. Jesus said that you're always going to have that, but there are times when you're got to step out of giving out of obligation and into giving out of revelation. There are times when the discipleship life takes us out of giving to need that's in front of us, to give to charity beyond us. At at National Church, we do both. What Jesus is saying is that that you've got to recognize moments when they come. There are times in every believer's life when you have to step out of just the day-to-day giving to need, which is in front of you, that is expected of you, that is your obligation, and to step into giving out of revelation, that your life is not yours alone. Come on, are you out there? There is a time for both. In our nation's church, we do both. At the end of the year, we have something called give. Our give offering gifts to people that are less fortunate than us beyond the four walls of church, many of them in third world countries and developing world. That is at the end of the year. But in the middle of the year, we also do this. We break our jars so that the generations to come, come on, are you out there, will get to have far more than what we have. Our legacy must not stop with us. Mary Campus, I want to stir in your heart again. See, the great danger for a campus like this one is to feel like we've arrived. That's the great danger. To be satisfied that everyone else had broken jars for us in the last 18 years, and now I'm just coming in for the ride. Woo! Sign my visitor's card. Follow me up. Thanks. That'll be awesome. That'll be so good. I love this. Preaching's awesome. The LED screen's so bright, so nice. I love it. The danger for us is to feel like we've arrived. But we must never stop. Come on, are you out there? And it's time once again to break the jars. So, building our future is going to be on the 19th of June, 2022. All services, all campuses. You'd see on your seat these envelopes, these brochures, rather. I want you to take them in your hand. Musicians, you can join me. And it really, don't read them now, because it'll just be rude I'm preaching. Just take them in your hand. Have a look at them quickly like this. And then put them in your purse. Put them under your arm. Just take it home with you. I want you to pray. Talk to God about the jars you're going to be breaking this year. Maybe you've never broken a jar before, but you've given sacrificially for the future. Or maybe this is your, going to be your 18th time, 19th time that you're doing it. I want to encourage you to talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. Make this your prophetic act that you are participating in the work of God for the years to come beyond your own lifetime. Let me encourage you. Break the jars. is it helpful to you guys? Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Thanks for listening to the Nations Church Podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.